It is quite a thought to think on what Jesus has done for me, for us. And so I'd like to start by looking at Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, and uh, where we look at Jesus, and and we get some thoughts about him, and then we're going to go look at uh, a little bit more of his crucifixion. The title of the message is, The Price of My Sin. Now, a lot of times, when most of us Christian people, we look for something, we look for something that has a lot of value and a cheap price tag, and because that's just the way you you stretch God's money. And so we, we, we look at it that way. We want something of great value, but we want to get it real. We want to get it reduced. Uh, 50% off would be best, better. And yet you don't have to think of what Jesus did. Um, you know, when God thought about our sins, he wasn't thinking about a cheap price. In fact, it's hard to fathom how he could have paid more. Now, I think, you know, what would the options have been? He could have sent an angel and worked it through somehow, probably. I don't know how it would have been. Uh, he, he, he could have went even, he could have used a man like David. Uh, after a man after God's own heart and had him live and, and die in a way that would have been somehow redemptive I think I guess would have been blameless for sure wouldn't have been spotless but you know then you know I had to think you know, the man could say you know what I wouldn't like David I didn't do all that you know what I mean we sin we still alienate ourselves from God by our sin but you know what he was wanting to send his son his only begotten son to this earth to pay a high price. I'm sure you found out long ago, if you've got much age to you, the more you sacrifice, the more something is worth. Ever think about that? The more you sacrifice, the more something is worth. <clears throat> so heaven sacrificed the very best of heaven. And you know what? As we sacrifice for Jesus, we show his value in our life. We show what he's worth. The more you sacrifice, the more you're showing what it's worth. And that, that challenges me because, you know, for us as people, it's not always easy to sacrifice. It's not easy to give up. It's not easy to stand up for Jesus always. But the more we sacrifice, the more we prove the value of Jesus in our life. And, and I'm glad he was willing to show that God was willing to say, look, I want to have fellowship. I want you as believers to have fellowship with me so much that I'm going to pay the highest price of heaven so that mankind, you and me, can have peace, forgiveness, and peace and fellowship in Jesus Christ. Look how much he cares about you. The more they heaven sacrificed, the more it's worth. And that puts a high worth on us as mankind. He had treasured fellowship with us. And that also gives us an opportunity to show the high value of Jesus in our life. Now, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, we also... This is New King James. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now this is very important because really, like I said, if he would have used another person like David or Moses, it's easy to see flaws in them and say, well... And kind of we self-justification to a certain degree. Here he said, okay, so he has a master plan, and it is ultimate, it is the best. He said, it, 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 I'm going to send Jesus. And he said, by the way, <clears throat> you're going to be bombarded to sin. You will be tempted to sin. And he said, that, that, look, we can lay it aside because Jesus didn't sin. And that's why everybody else pales as far as being able to be the, the Lamb of God. There's one who shed his blood. Every, every other option pales and falls away. Because we have, the, we have Jesus that's going before us. And so he didn't sin. And so you, we, can lay aside our sin. And how do we do that? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because of his shed blood. Without that... There would be no remission of sin. And then he said, and then, um, and let us run with patience and endurance to the end because Jesus, which is the finisher of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith, was willing to endure the cross. Was willing to endure. And I don't know how you feel about your latest opportunity to endure affliction, or your latest opportunity to stand up, or the latest opportunity when you were shamed for making a stand for Jesus, or called something, or belittled, or left out because of Jesus. Well, here it says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And when we read the scripture, it's interesting to note how Christians are to look about suffering, think about suffering. Uh, it says we are to be, have joy to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Yes. Well, that's challenging to us as mankind. But he, because he was willing to have the joy uh, of knowing, I think, uh, well, there's a lot of things a man can think, okay? And we don't know what Jesus is thinking for sure. But he knew that that was the plan for his life and that he was going to give you and me redemption because of this. Now, Jesus didn't want you lost. He didn't want mankind lost. He didn't want mankind to live in sin and die in sin and receive the second death, which is hellfire. He didn't want that to happen. He knew that it would take his blood to redeem us from sin. And so he was willing to do that, the price of my sin. Now let's go to John 19 and, uh, and look a little bit at how it happened. Now this is the, the sort of the, uh, the restricted version. It isn't, this isn't is near as detailed as Matthew's, but it still says a lot and, and explains a lot of what Jesus went through 
for us, the captain of our salvation, the price of my sin. And we see Jesus, you know, they had to come and, they come and got him. And he, and he told him, you know, why do you come as if you're coming to get a robber or a thief? <clears throat> I'm with you daily in the temple. You could have took me any day. He didn't resist, you know, and yet they come and, and took him as if he was uh, some convicted criminal. And, uh, and he went through a lot of turmoil in these courts. And now here he is uh, before Pilate. Uh, uh, John 19, and so Pilate took him and scourged him. And I'll just stop there a little bit. Uh, No one of the Gospels give much detail about this scourging. None of them do. But but as you you read in history, what, what goes on with the scourging, you can't help but... Appreciate the suffering of a blameless person. Because, you know, it's hard to imagine when, you know, we was youngsters. Uh, I don't know if you had good enough parents that they gave you, um, we called them whippings. They called them paddings. And they always, you know, Jenna said they loved us. And we was wondering about that detail. And, and yet, here is a full-grown adult not a child, and a child that really deserved it, you know, and probably deserved more than we ever got. Uh, that, that's what I was told a few times, you know, and I'm sure there was a lot of truth to that. And here's one that got one that didn't deserve it, for sure. But, you know, as I read about that and, uh, and, and studied in that, they said it is, it's, almost, it's hard to fathom that somebody given um, a scourging and you know, and I want to go to detail because we don't know how much, how how terrible this whip was made, because it may have had all kinds of objects in it. It probably did, but they said more than likely that it was a full-grown man hitting as hard as he could. Now that's what kind of makes it kind of earth shaking, actually. You know, full-grown man whipping the Son of God as hard as he could. You know, he shed his blood at the end of his life, but I wonder if, I'm pretty sure he was shedding blood at this point, too. I'm pretty sure he was shedding blood at this point, too. There's some interesting things to think about as I ponder this anew. He said, in Isaiah, by his stripes, you're healed. Did you ever think about that? This was part of your healing process spiritually. I'm not sure it isn't part of our healing process emotionally. Okay, I'll tell you how. Because we think, oh, when, when, I, when we review our suffering, and I, I really kind of feel kind of lame even calling what we go through suffering. Isn't it kind of embarrassing? I mean, what, was she, what should we really call it? Just a little slight ridicule every now and then. You know, we really, it's... Uh, this is true suffering, okay? What we go through, well, we sometimes feel it was really rough. Oh, they really belittled me. You know, we, we try to make it as big as we can so we feel like we really went through something. Jesus did, okay? By his stripes, friends, fellow Christians, you're healed, okay? Because, to put it the way it really is, 
What we go through is so minimal compared to what our Savior went through. And so, so we look unto Jesus and we say, look, I'm glad I'm counted worthy to suffer. I'm glad I'm counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That me, us, as unworthy children of his, unworthy, so imperfect. Here was one that lived totally perfect in everything of life. Didn't even have a bad attitude now. And you know how much we struggle with bad attitudes. God knows how much we struggle with relationships. You know, and he didn't have that. And he's saying, look, by his stripes you're healed. Hey, friends, that goes a long way. That goes a long way. Then, to make it even better, it says in Philippians 3, I think it's verse 10, that uh, to get this right, I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, because we want to have the power of his resurrection, right? It's, it starts with something like that. But I want to read it here. That I may know the power of his resurrection. Friends, every believer here this morning that's living an overcoming life knows this. That I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Fellowship with his suffering. When I personally like to run from it, I cringe from it, I complain about it. And he said, look, look. All this suffering, and we just started, this scourging is just the start of it. He said, that I may have fellowship with his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. And Brother Jonathan already talked about we have to die to our fleshly desires. We have to die to our carnal, selfish desires. And how do we do that? It is aided by the process of having fellowship with his suffering. What a blessing we can have Jesus to look to, the price of our sin. By his stripes, you're healed. By his stripes, we're healed. What a blessing. Verse 2. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Now Matthew says, now that's bad enough. This is more, uh, more ridicule, more suffering. Like, you know, a crown of thorns. And it says in Matthew, they got to read and hit him on the head. Now there could have been one, uh, well, there could have been multiple reasons for that. One thing would be terrible, embarrassing. Here's the king, blame his king, and you get a crown of thorns. Now, I have had a little thorn situation every now and then, but it's, it's like going through the woods. Okay, and it's, they scratch in your arms, goes, and that's about as thorny a stuff I can get into, and I don't even like that. I can't fathom planting a crown of thorns, putting it on your head, and then hitting it, hitting it. I suspect there was more blood. I highly suspect there was more blood. And then they, they ridicule him, hail king of the Jews. Yeah, suffering. Pilate then, verse 4. Went out again and said to them, Behold, I bring him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And he said very clearly, I find no fault in him. And he even got some help from his wife that said, You know, I tell you, I've been troubled immensely by some dreams. You know, you better let this man go. There's nothing wrong with him. And he said, I find no fault with him. 
But they didn't want Jesus to be let loose. They didn't want him to let go. Because keep reading, verse 5. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priest and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered and said, We have had all, and according to our law, he ought to uh, die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this, heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the planetarium and said to the Jews, said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, you have no power at all against me unless it be given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. It's interesting to note that Jesus, our sovereign Lord, is always sovereign. And I, it was in his life, he said, they have no power to do anything unless it's be given from above. And I praise God the same thing as in your life. When we give our lives to him, our sovereign Lord controls what happens. And so you can, we can rest in that knowing that what happens is for our good. Now, Jesus, <clears throat> as from the aspect of mankind, what Jesus went through is, is almost is just undescribable and thinkable. Now, I don't know if you like surprises, but I'd sooner have surprises then know ahead that when I'm 33, I'm going to die like this. Can you imagine how the last years of his life would be knowing that just down the road, around the corner, I'm going to die the most gruesome, painful death man can endure. I'd sooner have that as a surprise just between me and you. In fact, I am glad I didn't know I was going to have a heart attack this spring. Uh, you know, those kind of things are just fine if they're surprises. Because, you know, living knowing all that, I, you know, I'm not sure I wouldn't have been sort of, I don't like to think about being a basket case emotionally, but, you, you know, kind of works on you, you know? Yeah. And so Jesus knew this the whole time. I'm just bring back to Jesus. That he knew the whole time that he was going to die like this, and yet, not my will, but thine be done. Not thy will. Now, it was a Gethsemane experience. We do realize that. But he was willing to come forward and say, look, whatever, Lord, you want, I'm resigned to that. I'm resigned to that. Yes, what a perfect example. What a perfect example was for it. See, the sovereign God was in control of that situation, and he's in control of your situations, okay? It would be encouraging 
He's in, he's in control of what happens to you. Now, when we don't behave ourselves wisely and don't follow him, sometimes things get out of kelter and aren't what God would really want what's best for us. But I praise God when we follow his will, we're doing his biddings, and we're following him, and we're resigned to whatever he wants, and we're cheerfully following him and being uh, a fervent witness and testimony of his saving grace in our lives and hearts. He is in control of your life. And what happens? And I'll tell you, friends, we can rest in that. That brings a lot of calmness emotionally and spiritually to us. Verses 16 to 20. <clears throat> and, and he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Now, uh, they had brought him there for envy. The scripture says. Now, being mistreated is hard to handle, but when you know when you know things are out of envy, I don't know if you, man accuses man of things that they don't know. Okay, and but one of the hardest things to handle is when you think people are jealous of you for no good reason. Okay. Have you ever felt that way? Hopefully not. But it, it, for envy, because Jesus. Lived such a way and showed so much compassion and divine wisdom and understanding that people were just drawn to him. And I can understand because they, they were in a spiritual drought back then. And the scribes and Pharisees had an empty formality in their religion. And they asked for things that they wouldn't do themselves, Scripture says plainly. And, and so the people were, you know, burdened with all these things, and the leaders wasn't doing it. But Jesus, his plan was so much better. He was doing it. He was a perfect example. He was showing divine love. He was caring. He was healing. He spoke as one having authority, and he showed it because he had God in his life. And, and so, his plan, so he drew people. People were drawing, and they didn't like that, so they obviously were jealous. And so... They didn't want him to be uh, to escape the death that they wanted to, him to have. So that's why, you know, and they ask him, you know, who, you know, you want me to release Jesus? No. No, we don't want that. We want him to die. They didn't know that they were following the plan. They didn't know that they were following the master plan. Verse 17, and he, bearing his cross, went out to the place, the place called, excuse me, he went out to a place called the place of the skull, which was called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, the two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the, in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And uh, <clears throat> there, it's just, it's short phrases, it sounded, um, it sounds just kind of routine. It kind of just sounds, and I think there was a, a, a number of crucifixions back then. 
But it's hard to imagine this crucifixion because it was Jesus. It was Jesus, the one that did no wrong being crucified. And so, actually, um, the cross is very important symbol of our of our lives. I've read one time, man made the cross a tree of shame. Christ changed the cross to a tree of glory. Is that the way we see it? Yes. Man used it as a tree of death. Christ converted it to the tree of life. Isn't that exciting? The tree of life. We hear about that over yonder. <laughs> and here we have it. Outside the walls of Jerusalem, the tree of life. Man employed it for cruel oppression. Christ put it into service of freedom. Man made it an agency of judgment and retribution. Through Christ it became a means of forgiveness and mercy. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. In the hands of man, the cross was an accursed tree touched by this the hands of the Son of God had become a tree of blessing. Before Calvary, the cross instilled only fear. After Calvary, it became a symbol of infinite love. Yes. Jesus' love. Once man disgraced this tree with crime and other sins, then Christ sanctified it with his holy and precious blood. Before Calvary, it harshly enforced the law. After Calvary, it joyously proclaimed the good news, Jesus saves. Before Good Friday, it hastened man into outer darkness. After that, it ushered men into paradise and glory. The shame of the cross was man, and the glory of the cross is Christ. What a blessing. Jesus is willing to go to the cross. Then the end, verses 28 to 30, same chapter. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit and that is so thrilling to realize that Jesus died for my sins. Jesus, the one that was in complete control, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men into me. And he was lifted up on the cross. And he did that. He's signifying his end of his life. And he died for my sins and yours, the sins of the whole world. Now, I'd like to read a few more verses, verses uh, 33 to 35. And it said, And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. In other words, we know that people question the truth about this. It wasn't there. But it is true. Jesus shed his blood for the sins of the whole world, 
and it's yours and mine. And I praise God for that. No wonder it says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Also, in Romans 5, 9, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I am so glad that Jesus was willing to shed his blood, and I think he shed a lot of blood. Uh, you know, between the scourging and the thorns and the pierced side, there was, well, volume doesn't have anything to do with it, does it? It's his blood. It's his blood. It's his precious blood. But I think there was plenty of blood on the scene. We are saved by the uh, blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God, you're also healed by his suffering. Okay, because that was definitely part of the process that got him here. He didn't just go to a cross and die. He suffered on the way to that cross. And that was tremendous. And then it said there, you are justified. We are made because of his blood when we ask for forgiveness of sins as if we had not sinned. That's hard to fathom. When you think about how many sins that we as individuals do, I hate to start counting. You know, he said, you know, uh, how many sins could be? Thousands. Maybe your goodness only hundreds. But you know how many sins it take to keep you out of heaven? There we go. That's right. And yet, when we ask for forgiveness of sins and we're honest and humble before him, we come there and we're honestly, we're willing to repent. We're remorseful for our sin. He forgives our sins and our life is if we never sin. Hallelujah! I'll tell you, friends, that's worth, if you want to get excited, that's worth getting excited about. Because that's the only way we're going to make it to heaven. When we can send our sins on before us beneath the blood of Jesus Christ. They go, or there's only one other option. They come with us and they condemn us. And we wouldn't want that. We can send them on before us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then he says something else in there, that we're saved from wrath. Interesting phrase, but one worth think, giving a few minutes of thinking. <clears throat> a holy God, it man, a defiled man cannot fathom the holiness of God. But we ought to try, okay? It is holy, okay? He wants purity, righteousness, Clean, open, accountability, all those things are part of holiness, okay? And, and Christians, Jesus, God's that way, Jesus was that way, and he wants saved man to be that way. But man, before they're saved, are far from that, right? They sin, and he kind of liked it. Now, it kind of wasn't as much fun if you knew you was going to get one get some punishment because it kind of dampened it a little bit. But sin had its pleasure. And, and, and you, we had no power over that. And so we lived in sin because we wasn't asking forgiveness for sins. We wasn't saved. We didn't have the new creation in Christ Jesus that we can have once we're redeemed. So we lived in that. And there's God, holy, and he has no fellowship, no communion with that person, none. That person is lost. That person is going to have a miserable life. 
You know, I just heard something. It might pertain to this. I just heard recently, I think it was this week, that the life expectancy of Americans has went down. You probably heard it too. It's went down for, what, the third year in a row or something? You know why it is? Because of drugs and suicides. In other words, there's more people dying young because of the misery of life. All right, here's the answer. Jesus, this shed blood. When we accept him in our lives and we come to him and say we want the blood of Jesus, we get that forgiveness. We get that peace. We get that fellowship that means everything because those that don't have it, you know what? Life is miserable. And what? go to the next party and they get to drinking. They get to use drugs and next you know that doesn't fulfill. And you know what? They die young. They die young. They take their life. And that's why American age, the average age is going down in America. Isn't that sad? With the health, all the health things and all that we have, all the pills that you can take. Uh, and yet they're dying younger. Let me tell you, friends, we have what the lost needs in Jesus Christ. And we're commemorating that this morning, the price of my sin, the wrath of God. And so sin, God cares about sin tremendously. And it, it, it disturbs him so much that sin, I read, is the equivalent of cosmic treason and must be punished. Think about it. When I did wrong as a boy, good parents, I'm, I, was, I knew what was coming. And sin does the same thing. This could only... Uh, <clears throat> that is why Jesus died on Calvary. God's wrath and judgment had to be had to be abated for sin. This could only be accomplished by the spotless lamb, God's only son, the ever-perfect one, and his atoning blood. Jesus satisfied the penalty for sin that was death and his shed blood. When we overemphasize the forgiveness of sins without first remembering God's judgment on sin, we could produce a generation that believes that God is lenient on sin. In other words, he's saying, look, God wanted, he knew there had to be a penalty paid for sin, and it was the death of Jesus. And that's why it's so wonderful to realize and commemorate here this morning that Jesus died for my sins, the price of my sin. And we can recognize and appreciate that. Yes, Jesus died so that I could be saved. The divine pardon is dispensed only where God's wrath has been first enforced. And I think that's through conviction, actually. Uh, and more than that, when I don't respond to conviction, have you noticed how God tries to bring other things in your life? You know, things start going miserably wrong. It isn't God uh, always trying to punish us. He is trying to draw us back to him because he cares that we, that we as mankind respond to our sin problem. And praise God, we can be that way. Yes, Christianity has grown weaker whenever it loses touch of the cross of Calvary. But praise God, we can commemorate that. No wonder John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the whole world. Yes, Jesus was the Lamb of God. He suffered. That you can be healed. 
He died and shed his blood that we all can be forgiven. Tell you, there's no other way than Jesus Christ. Praise his name. He died for our sins. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can look in your word and see the perfect plan of salvation. Perfect plan for redemption. The perfect plan for forgiveness of sins. Oh God, we're so thankful we can meet here as a brotherhood that loves you. We've experienced that forgiveness and cleansing and we thank you that you made it available. And Lord, this morning, we just want our lives to be ones that bring you glory by having fellowship with your suffering, doing it cheerfully, thankful that we're counted worthy to suffer. Thank you that we can be encouraging one to another. And thank you that Jesus was our perfect example. It's his name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.